All right. Good morning. If you love the Lord, say yes. If you love the Lord, say amen. We are in the second week of our message series on identity, and we are taking a series to talk about identity because it's such very important and compound and compact conversation. And last week, Pastor Jason explained and expounded on how although we in practice are sinners, in Christ, on paper, we are saints. And how many of you guys were here last week for Jason's message, Sinner versus Saint? Awesome. Well, I'm so excited to get to develop this conversation a little bit more. And I want you to know before I move forward that identity is the collective attributes, characteristics, and qualities a person or group is defined by or recognized as. So that's, that's fancy language for the fact that our identity is twofold. Everybody put your fingers up just like this. Twofold. There you go. And, and then you can, you can act like you're from the hood and do it like this right here. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Thug out there. I see you, Tim. Thugged out. Okay. So our identity is twofold. It is the way that we are perceived as well as the way we understand ourselves. It's the way people see us and the way we see ourselves. So I want to draw your attention to the idea of a mascot. Mascots. We've been doing mascots for a long time, long before high school and college basketball. We've been doing mascots. As a matter of fact, the old school mascot uh, anthropologists or social scientists tell us that primitive peoples, indigenous peoples, people uh, running around in the, in the jungle chasing lions, tigers, and bears, these guys would kill an animal before battle for the purpose of acquiring that animal's identity. So if I kill this lion, I'm then going to adopt the identity of that lion. So when I step on the battlefield, your boy's about to go beast mode. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's old school. And today in our culture, we still have the same psychology or mentality as it pertains to identity. Some of you would say, I might be from Asheville, but I'm a red skin. Or I might be from Charlotte, but your boy's a New York giant. You see, this is the conversation of identity. So identity it's definitely something that we've been doing for a long time as human beings. And what I want you to know is that as a Christ follower, if you're in Jesus, our primary identity has to be in Jesus. Now, I'm very proud to be a black man. For one, all of you guys who are not black, at least those of you who are white, you can never say something like that. That would be straight racist, and I'm going to tell you. <laughs> Pastor Shannon, if you ever get up here and say, I'm proud to be a white dude, I'm saying he's racist. Okay? But I can say that as a black dude. I'm proud to be black, baby. I'm proud to be black, and I'm proud of where I come from, and I'm proud of who my people are, but my primary identity has to be in Jesus. There's nothing wrong with, with attributing affection and appreciation for your people and your ethnicity and where you come from and where you grew up. Nothing wrong with that. But we got to remember as Christ followers, our identity has to be staked and rooted in who Jesus is, what he did on that cross, and what he's doing in us. If you're with me, say yes. 
And I want you to know that identity is definitely two-directional. Put your doves up there again, okay? Your piece in. There you go. Identity is two-directional. And what I mean by that is, I'm going to give you a very, very relevant example in my personal life. When I first started dating or getting to know who is now my bride, Maggie, five years in, when I first started getting to know Maggie, I invited Maggie to be my date to college formal dance. And Maggie corrected your boy real quick. She's like, well, check it out. Your girl is a long way home, uh, away from home. My, my dad is back in Kansas. So before you can take me on a date, you've got to sit down and talk with my pastor. His name is Shannon. He's got to give you the okay before you pick your girl up and pay for her food and do all of that. So I say, cool. I know who I am. I love the Lord. I got good intentions. Let's go. So when I meet Pastor Shannon, I definitely began to realize that identity is two-directional because before I know it, as I'm talking, he's looking at me out of the side of his, ah, like this, uh-huh, is that right? Uh-huh, is that right? I'm like, man, is this dude discerning like secret sin in my heart? You know? Wow. Maybe, maybe I'm not ready to date Maggie. I don't know. Come to find out, he's having problems in his, his vision. You know what I'm saying? So, but suffice it to say that identity is definitely, is definitely, is definitely too directional. So I want you to know that a misplaced identity is a dangerous thing. Anybody know what I'm saying? A misplaced or misunderstood identity is a dangerous thing. And uh, when I was a kid, I was in the fifth grade, and a kid in my neighborhood, his name was Brandon, and Brandon had this uh, chihuahua by the name of Coco. Now, Coco had a misplaced identity because Coco thought he was a pit bull, okay? And first time I met Coco, it wasn't no, none of that, you know, smelling me, you know, seeing if I'm a good guy. This joker just charged me and attacked me and actually, like, bit my, my pants leg. And I had on jogging pants. He almost choked on my jogging pants. So I made, a, I made a decision. I was going to teach Coco that, Coco, you're not a pit bull. And I'm going to take it personally to make sure you know who you really are, your identity in Jesus. So I'm going to show you. So one day... One day, I happened to be in the middle of the neighborhood. I was on my bicycle, and guess who had gotten out of the house? Coco. So now Coco wasn't in his house. He wasn't protected by Brandon and all his family members. It was just me and Coco. And I looked at Coco, and Coco looked at me, and I was like, yeah, you thought I forgot, didn't you? So Coco, this stupid dog, I don't want to offend any dog lovers, but this stupid dog, rather than running through somebody's yard and getting away from me, this stupid dog runs on the street like it's a car, like running on the road. I'm like, I'm on a bike, you're running from me, and you stand on the road. It's easy for me to catch you. So I'm chasing this dog. I never ended up getting him, but I was determined to teach Coco that his identity was misplaced. So I want to give you a, a more practical example as it pertains to how we live. And I want to tell you about a friend of mine. I'm going to call him Jerome. Jerome, unfortunately been encouraging Jerome, like, fam, your identity is misplaced. And Jerome, who would describe himself as a Christ follower, recently found himself in court, got taken to court for a situation with some, some money he owed somebody, and in anger and rage, cusses out the woman in the courtroom, cusses her out. The judge gets so upset, throws the case out. And as Jerome is explaining this to me, I'm saying, Jerome, but for the record, again, his name is not Jerome. So don't worry about me putting anybody's information out like that. But I'm saying, Jerome, 
If you're a Christ follower, you shouldn't be acting like this, man. What you doing cussing somebody out in, in a court of law? Fam, that's, that's not how we do things as Christ followers. And Jerome tells me, you don't understand. I'm a 30-something-year-old, former this, with post-traumatic stress disorder and bipolar, and I'll fight any man, anytime, anywhere. You just give me the opportunity. And I say, my brother, your identity is misplaced. Anybody know what I'm saying? Your identity has to be in Jesus because the way we perceive ourselves influences the way we live and how we act. Are you following me? Say amen. So given the fact that our identity is two directional, I want you to be aware of the fact that as Christ followers, it's absolutely imperative that the same way Pastor Shannon was influenced in the way I felt about myself. Oh, snap. This dude's seeing something in me. I don't know. It's important that as Christ followers, we see ourselves the way God sees us. I don't know if you got that. It's vital. Chris and Keisha and Brian and Sheila and Tim, it's vital that we understand ourselves the way God sees us and it will begin to show up in the way we live. Anybody with me say amen. So I want to draw your mind's attention to four things. I hope I have the time to develop it. If not, then the Holy Spirit will just have to do his thing anyway. But four things that is very important that we understand as Christ followers, who we are in Jesus Christ. So look to your neighbor and say identity in Jesus. So the first thing I want you to know is that it's imperative, Bill. It's so imperative. Alicia, we got to get this. We are former enemies of God. That's not popular. Check this out. A very well-known uh, pastor and author. He's not with us on this side of eternity anymore, but A.W. Tozer said, until we believe that we are as bad as God says we are, we can never believe that he will do for us what he says he will do. And right here is where popular religion breaks down. He's speaking the truth. Anybody know what I'm saying? Because the minute you come to somebody and say, well, you need Jesus because God has hostility towards you, loves you, but he's got beef with you. That's the NIV, the Negro International, okay? He's got, he's got beef with you. Because of sin. Are you following me? So because God is holy, we cannot go soft on the fact that because of our sin, the holy, righteous, living, almighty God actually has a problem with us. So we need Jesus for more than the God-shaped vacuum in our hearts. That's very true. We need Jesus for more than just the peace that he can offer. Very true. But we cannot diminish the fact that we are enemies of God outside of Jesus. If you with me, say yes. And Paul put it this way. The Christ followers in Rome, he said this. <coughs> Excuse me. He said, when we were utterly helpless, couldn't do anything for ourselves to restore the relationship with God. Check out what Jesus did, man. Christ came at just the right time and he died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God, somebody say, but God, hallelujah, but God showed his great love 
for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. In verse 9, since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, not going to church, not who your grandpa was, but by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation or God's wrath. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his, what? Enemies. We will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So I could exegete or basically travel from Genesis all the way through Revelation and demonstrate that because of our sin, we're actually not just all children of God who make boo-boos, but we need Jesus because through sin we're enemies of God. And he's so perfect and righteous and holy and good. He's got to punish wrongdoing. And if we don't get under the blood of Jesus, we will get the punishment we deserve. And Jesus satisfied that. For us. Is that good news? That's good news. Amen, Nate. So remember what, what David said after David jacked the whole family's situation up and killed a dude and committed adultery, got a woman pregnant. Remember what he said. He said, Lord, I now understand against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. It's important if we're going to remember, we're saved by grace, right? Grace, everybody say grace. So if we're really going to savor what Jesus did on that cross, we're going to really appreciate the fact that we've been saved by grace. We got to remember that we used to be, somebody say used to be, used to be enemies of God. But he's so loving, man. He didn't even desire that we would pay for the sins we committed. All right, if you with me, say yes. All right, second thing I want you to get out of this is in Christ, not only were we former enemies, but our identity in Christ, we killed that lion and put this identity on. We lived this thing out. We were former enemies and we're also brand spanking new. Everybody say new. Brand spanking new. And you remember Paul said to the Christ followers in a city called Corinth, big city, he said to the Christ followers there, he said, so we stopped, we have stopped evaluating other people from a human point of view. You see, even at one time, we thought about Christ merely from a human point of view. But how differently we know him now. He came out that grave, baby. And this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become what kind of a person? A new, say it like you mean it, what kind? A new person. The old is gone, and a new life has begun. So if you know you're new in Jesus, raise your hand. So, the question becomes, well, in what way am I new? Because I still got bills to pay. Anybody know what I'm saying? Okay, I still got bills to pay. And when I crank my car up, man, I just, just the other day I had to uh, get my AC recharged, okay? So I still, still had to kick out $50 to get my AC recharged, you know? And I still get on my wife's nerves every once in a while, you know? And she thinks I'm funny sometimes and other times she don't. You know, I still, I still got things to get done and I still got problems. So how am I new? You say I'm new. Paul, in what way am I new? And there are three ways that we're new in Jesus. Everybody say three ways. I wish I had the time to really develop all of these, but suffice it to say that number one, we're new in Jesus because we now have the Holy Spirit in us. Are you hearing me? Now, this is, this is contrary to modern theological perspectives in our culture today that says, well, we all have God in us and we we, we, we all have the spirit. We all have the entity, the, the deity in us. We're all God in one way or another. Now, one sense that's true because we are all made in God's image. 
It's true. But because of sin, it's been broken. And so our fellowship with God has been broken and diminished. Are you hearing me? And so what Jesus offers us is that he'll take away our sins. He'll wash our sins away, pay our sins. And everybody say and. He will restore that broken fellowship that we have with God and give us the Holy Spirit to live in us and teach us from the inside out. Like the song says, consume me from the what? Inside out. That's the Holy Spirit. And Paul put it this way. Oh, I wish I had the time. Paul said in Romans, you're not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the spirit. If you have the spirit of God living in you, say in you. He said, and remember that those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. And the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, he lives where? In you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. So the first way that we're new is that we now have the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability and the strength and the drive to follow Jesus. And when we sin, we sin. How many of you guys are in Christ and you still sin? You still mess up? Okay, we sin. But because we have the Holy Spirit in us, God gives us the strength to continue moving forward, to continue following Jesus and convict us. When we sin, it hurts. Anybody know what I'm saying? When we sin, we find ourselves saying, man, that was wrong. I'm tripping. I got to tighten up. I got to tighten up. That's a good sign. If you're in Christ and you sin and you feel that conviction, good, good. Number two, we're new because of our thinking. And I won't be able to articulate all the scriptures that point to this reality. But Paul said, man, listen, if you're in Christ, don't act like the people in the world who don't know the Lord. You shouldn't be living like them, but rather You should be transformed, changed. How? By the way you think. We're new because of the Holy Spirit. We're new in our thinking. And number three, we're new in our practice. And now, John, uh, one of Jesus' closest homeboys, John, speaking of the fact that when we're born again, now, although we still wrestle and struggle with sin, we make a practice to live righteously. Righteous. That's something that we've... Our church culture in America has begun to go soft on. But it's important that we call our people up and higher and say, God still desires that we honor him in the way we live righteously. And so we practice just like we practice anything else. We don't do it perfectly. For the record, some of you guys know this. Your boy is in ballet. That's right. Grown man in ballet. And I don't wear tights or a tutu. But I practice ballet and I'm proud of it, okay? You come to Elevate on Monday nights and usually I'll be there, okay? And because I'm in ballet, I'm not perfect yet. And I don't show up every time because life gets busy, but I'm making it a point to get better. Are you hearing me? So we're not perfect, but as Christ followers, we practice righteousness, living for the Lord. All right, that dude need to practice righteousness on that motorcycle. Okay, all right. So I got to keep it moving. If you're with me, say yes. All right. So in Jesus, part of our identity is the fact that we were former enemies. We remember that and we, are, we celebrate the grace of God. We are brand spanking what? New. And then number three, I won't have time to develop this like I want, but number three, in Jesus, part of our identity is Eliza. We're sent. Got Eliza right beside you too. Eliza and Eliza. We're sent. 
We're sent. We're missionaries in Jesus. Are you hearing me? Look to your neighbor and say, you're a missionary? Look to your other neighbor and say, you're a missionary. And part of what we do, part of what we do in our gatherings, small gatherings, large gatherings, is this is missionary training right now. You didn't know you were in missionary training. Now, we just ordained and sent some missionaries over to Africa, the Kali's, right? So think about what the Kali's have done in preparation and what they do as missionaries now. They get over to Africa. They learn the language, the culture. They learn how to celebrate with the people. They eat with the people. They listen to the people's music. They look, they dress like the people. But it's very important that as missionaries in Christ, it's our identity. Paul said, man, we're ambassadors. We're begging people on behalf of God. Be reconciled to Jesus. We're ambassadors. We've been sent. Jesus said, Matthew 28, 19, he says, therefore, go. Everybody say, Go. Go, make disciples, go, we're missionaries. So as missionaries, it's important that we don't forget that we are missionaries. What would happen if the colleagues got over to Africa? They got over there and learned the culture, ate the food, dealt with diarrhea for a little while, okay? And forgot that they were missionaries in the first place. And the people looking at them like, they call them Mazungus because... The common people happen to be darker skinned and the white people are called Mazungus. And they say, Mazungu, why are you here? I don't know, man. I just, I I kind of forgot. Why am I here? What would happen if the colleagues forgot why they went to Africa in the first place? How many know God has called you to be a missionary, Eliza, in your neighborhood, with your friends who know Jesus and those who don't, okay? We forget that we're missionaries and God has called us to our co-workers and our homeboys, Kevin, and the people we work out with. Kevin being there looking swole. Jesus didn't give you muscles just to look good. He gave you muscles to be a missionary. Are you hearing me say amen? For the purpose of people seeing Jesus in you and wanting to follow Jesus because they see you following Jesus. You're a missionary. Say missionary. Oh, I wish I had the time. And that last but not least, I want you to get this one. This is a good one. I try to save the, the real good ones for last. And look to your neighbor and say, this is a good one. The last one I want you to get is that in Jesus, the identity God by his kindness has given us, hallelujah, is that we're beautiful. Now, some of you guys know our story. Maggie and I, you guys can continue to pray for us. We have been for the last two and a half years praying for our own biological children. God hasn't in his providence and sovereignty and strength. He hasn't granted us that yet. We're praying, we're trusting, we're hoping, we're believing. But in the meantime, he has given us the grace to foster five children over the last year. Right now we have three. And what I've learned as a foster parent, probably in a very diminished sense of what you guys know, like Andy Stenberg, I know you probably feel this a lot more so than I have, but what I've begun to discover is that For my foster children, I love them each fully and differently. I really do. And Chris will eat a brother out of your house. But I love that guy, man. I love him. And it's different than the way I love Jesse. And it's different than the way I love Maria. But I love them fully. And I found that the scriptures speak to the same love that the Father has for us. Are you hearing me? And what I want you to know is... That we're beautiful in God's sight in the same way. And I want to draw your mind's attention to a movie called X-Men First Class. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Y'all remember that dude in X-Men? And Professor Xavier is this professor and he's a scientist and he basically has this database of all these human beings on the planet 
who have mutations, I don't want to get a little too crazy with this, but have mutations and the broader public are afraid of these mutations because they begin to ask the questions, well, if these, some of these mutants can teleport, what's going to stop them from teleporting into a bank and stealing money? This is going to get out of control, so we don't like this whole idea of mutants. We need to keep them where they are. But Professor Xavier says, man, I see something awesome in this. And although these mutants are afraid and they don't like themselves very much, I see something profound, something that I want to cultivate and use. And so Professor Xavier in first class, he has the student, and the student is just this tall, lanky, nerdy, book smart dude with big feet. And the dude doesn't like himself. And he's created an antidote to get rid of his big feet with hairy toes. Okay? Some of y'all are like, that's me. Okay. So he developed this antidote to take away this thing in him that he doesn't like. But Professor Xavier comes to him and says, no, you see book smarts and big feet? I see a beast. I see something powerful and awesome in you. But a dude takes the antidote and ends up backfiring. And rather than getting rid of uh, his big feet and animal uh, ability and super intelligence, uh, which I, I don't suppose he wanted to get rid of that part, but uh, it backfires. And now he becomes this, this monster, this huge beast. Well, what Professor does, Professor Xavier does, is he recruits him and he says, man, I want to use you. And I want you to know that if you will give me the chance, I'll cultivate this thing in you and I'll use you for something awesome. That's Hollywood for what Jesus wants to do in you. I don't think you heard me. That's Hollywood for what God sees in 7 billion people on the planet. God says, man, I know you've had a divorce. Man, I know you've got broken relationships. I know you had an abortion or two or three or four. I know you struggle with this and that. I know you've been addicted to pornography for all this time. I see something beautiful. If you give me the chance, the same way we see Beast and Wolverine and Cyclops, these cats, they wear an X on their uniform to demonstrate the fact that they trusted Professor Xavier to take what was in them that they didn't like and to use it for something awesome. Jesus, hallelujah. Jesus wants to do that with you, Anthony, and you, Jenna, wants to do that with you, Sheila, wants to do that with you. If you give him the chance, he'll take broken people, make something awesome for his glory. Y'all help me? Our identity in Jesus, number one, we got to remember that we were former what? Talk to me. We were former... Number two, although we were former enemies because of Jesus, we are brand spanking, brand spanking new. And then number three, we're not only brand spanking new, but we are also, anybody remember? We're what? Sent. I thought you said sinners. I was like, no, that was last week. Right. Sent. Missionaries. And then last but not least, because of Jesus, God sees us with the Father's love says, man, you are beautiful. You're perfect. I love you. I love you. So check it out. We're going to close in a song. 
and Pastor Shannon, Ms. Sherry, our other uh, leaders. It's dark, so I can't see everybody in here. But we're going to have some leaders up here at the front. And we want you to take advantage of this time just to fellowship and commune with the Lord. And if you need prayer, come on down. Pray with our fam right here. And our hope is that you will be strengthened and encouraged in your identity in Jesus. We serve an awesome God. Because of Jesus, you are beautiful. Amen.